Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here as your children. Lord, we are incomplete without you. And help us to know you more. You are truly great, great indeed. Uh, your word tells us, Lord, that we can do all things through you who gives us strength. Lord, strengthen us today. If we're struggling, if we're facing trouble, if we're facing adversity, Lord, bring us through that. Let your Holy Spirit rain down upon us and give us your peace today, Lord. For those that don't know you, Lord, we pray especially that you touch their hearts, that you open up their minds, that they may know you, that they may experience you, that they may hear something today that causes them to listen, causes them to turn their head towards you, Lord. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, may we leave here changed. May we leave here as better servants uh, to embrace the message, to make more and better followers of you as we seek to bring others into your kingdom. It's in your Son's holy name that we pray, the name of Jesus, and all his people said, Amen. Good morning. Great to have you all here today. I got to do the eighth. I'm case. Okay, so if you don't know, I'm the student pastor here. Ron is out, and so you get to hear me. You're all blessed. You will walk away encouraged, I hope. Today we are going to be in 1 John. You can turn there right now if you want. Uh, I'm going to move quickly after I read the beginning of it, so just know that I'm going to move some today. We're going to look at 1 John. We're going to look at the book of John, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at Matthew, and we're going to look at Luke. I know that's multiple places, and I apologize. If you don't want to flip, you don't have to. If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 John. There's a, there's a Bible in front of you in the chair cage. If you don't have one, you can grab that, and it may be on the screen. At least the title is is on the screen. But Christmas, Christmas was yesterday. I hope you all had a, a great Christmas day. I had a wonderful one. I spent it with my family. But leading up to Christmas, we have been infected by the flu. My household has been taken over by the flu virus. And at one point, my wife was running 104, my son was running 102, and my daughter was running 101.5. I, however, was the only healthy one in the bunch, and so I was playing nurse dad, which was awesome. So I had them all in bed, and it was going great. Well, luckily, because of this, we have now met our deductible, and we, yeah, $5,000 later, here we are. Uh, but once we meet it, everything's covered, and so like once we met it a week and a half ago, it was like, let's go to the doctor as much as we can. And go to Walgreens as much as we can. So we have. And now I've been to Walgreens out of the last seven days. I've been there six. And it's amazing. I'm just going to get more medicine and going. So when I walk in, they're like, hey, Case, what's up? Want some more medicine? Here we go. Regardless, we go, we go one night. Ryan is sick. And so Tanner and I, my daughter and I, go to Walgreens, and, which she likes going to Walgreens. Great fun. We go. We find Tylenol PM, which I'm not going to tell you that story. Don't get it. There are side effects and Wow, that was a crazy night. But don't take Tylenol PM. Um, if you're a salesman for them, I apologize. I'm sorry if I've taken business away from you. Regardless, Tanner and I go. We go to Walgreens. We finally find this thing, and we walk to the cash register. Well, Walgreens has strategically placed all of their toys next to the cash register two days before Christmas. Well done. And so we walk up. And I'm, like I said, I'm with my daughter. Uh, she's five years old. We walk up, and she looks up at the stack of toys and sees a three-foot-tall fairy doll. Yes, she's in here right now. My daughter's in here. This is the second time she's ever listened to me speak. 
the first time was at a family service. We walked out. We were walking down the sidewalk, and she said, Dad, you were speaking tonight. And I said, yeah, did you like it? And she said, no, it was boring. So, try to do better on this one. So, Tanner and I are standing there. She finds this pink fairy, and she says, Dad, I want that fairy. That thing is amazing. Let's get it. I said, Tanner, no, we just had your birthday. You got all those presents. Christmas is in two days. You're going to get a ton more presents. We're not getting the fairy. She's okay with it. So luckily, she's fine. I get the time on PM, and I walk out, and I'm cheering myself on for being a great parent. Dad, you did a great job. You addressed the situation. You said no. You were firm. You didn't buy the doll. Not only that, she's not upset. She's listening. She's being obedient. You're an amazing dad. So I'm walking out all puffed up. Dad of the year. Right there. So we get home, do whatever we're doing. The next day, I hear in her bedroom, she's making all kinds of noise. And I go, Ryan, what is she doing in there? She goes, I, she's counting her money or something. I don't know. So I go back in the bedroom, and I'm standing there folding clothes. And my daughter walks in, and she has on a Hannah Montana purse. She walks in, and she goes, Dad, what do you think about me and you going back to Walgreens and me buying that doll? And I said, no, honey. And she said, no, Dad, I have my own money. And I said, okay, let's see what you got. So she opens up Hannah Montana first. She pulls out her wallet. She opens the wallet, and it's full of change. Now, the, the fairy doll was, it was like $9.95. So it was like $10 doll. It's very, if you're going to buy a three-foot-tall fairy, this is the one to buy. Okay? It is very affordable, but we didn't get it. So <clears throat> she shows me what she has. And I say, honey, the doll is $10. And I don't think you have $10. She said, no, Dad, I have my own money. Let's go get it. And I said, well, let's sit down. Let's count this thing out. So we begin to count her change. She has a $1.74. And convinced, I'm ready to buy the doll, Dad. So the, the, the neat thing was she has the basic concepts of money. You know, there are things that I want. I have to use money to get it. I have to I have to go to the store and pay them, and then I can leave with this toy. So she understands that. Not only that, but she understands I have my own money, and sometimes I'm responsible for making my own decisions about what I'm going to buy, actually getting that stuff out and going and purchasing those things if I decide it. And those are good concepts, but what she doesn't understand are fuller concepts of, okay, how does money work? How, you know, What is the value? How do you count it? How do you compare it to what it is that you want to use? And so right now, at the age of five, just beginning in this whole money idea, she's needing someone to help train her, to teach her how to use that. And as she grows, she will learn that, and she'll be able to use money and, and be effective and buy things uh, once she has those. She actually accidentally stole a bracelet the other day from Nordstrom's. I have a thief. I'm raising a thief. So um, it was the cutest thing ever because it, it, she accidentally did it, got stuck in a stroller. Well, we, we were going back to Nordstrom's to return it with Nanny, and my daughter said, Nanny... Please don't tell them because the police are going to come and get me. She's like afraid they're going to arrest her. I can just imagine what's going on in her head, walking away in cuffs because she's still. Anyways, so she understands, but she needs someone to teach her, to train her. And so we're going to go to First John uh, and, and look at training and growing and learning. In chapter one, verse one of First John, <clears throat> John is writing and he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our, uh, looked at and with our hands we have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Let's stop there just for one minute. He begins and says, that which was from the beginning. And there are two viewpoints on this. One is that it's addressing, hey, it's a, from the beginning of, beginning of the church or the message or of Jesus. It's obviously in reference to Jesus. 
The other is a, and I would argue it's probably dual. One is referring to Jesus in the beginning of the church, yes. The other, I would argue, is going back to, if you look at the Gospel of John, uh, you can flip through there right now if you'd like. You don't have to. I'm going to read it for you. You can listen. You can read. You can go to sleep. It's up to you. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. With him out, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And so, very similar to that which was in the beginning, to uh, <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and was with God, and God was with the Word, not only that, but... Uh, it goes on to say he became flesh. It talks about the fact that he created, uh, similar to Hebrews 1, Jesus is the creator, sustainer of life. And so we have this idea from Scripture that Jesus is, in our New Testament, we see the argument of Jesus is the God of our Old Testament, the God who is the creator, the God who is the sustainer of life, the God who has been in existence from all time. And John begins making this, kind of drawing a hard line in the sand, aligning himself with, this is who I believe God is. This is who I believe Jesus is. I have bought into, I have sold out, I have invested my life into the concept, belief, saying, Jesus is God. I think Scripture does three main things, three very basic main things for us that we can walk away with confident in looking at Scripture. It tells us who God is, it tells us who we are, and then it tells us how to respond to that. John is very clear in his writing in 1 John that who is God? God is Jesus. And has been from the beginning. And he continues and says, That which we have heard, and that which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Stop there for one second. We're going to skip down and look at verses 5 through 10. Our main focus will be verses 1 through 4. But to get there and ask the questions I want to ask, I want to look at 5 to 10. It reads, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. John, again, is right. John is making very brash statements. He's making very bold, very concrete statements about who God is and who we are. And John is dealing with likely a community who is struggling, fighting against a either proto or pre-Gnostic concept. Um, and also a concept of people moving beyond uh, the idea of sin, moving above the concept of sin. When I say Gnostic, I mean people believing that they now have a special knowledge about who God is or about spirituality apart from the person of Jesus. Kind of a special, mystical, receiving. Um, I'm, I'm special because I received it and I received it in a mystical way and you don't understand it. <clears throat> and John is writing against that and we see that 
plainly because John writes and begins with that which was from the beginning, this Jesus, we've seen and we've heard and we've gazed upon and we've touched with our hands. It was a substance. It was a being. It was here. We grabbed a hold of it. We watched it work. We watched miracles happen. We learned from. We took notes from. We watched it actually play out. This isn't a mystery. It's not something that you don't understand that you don't know or that's unseen. Jesus was real. And he's arguing from that. And he goes on. And like I said, he's making a brash statement about who we are. And he's very clearly stating that man is broken. Not only that man is broken, but evil exists. And man takes part in that. And man is responsible for what he does. I know in even systematic theology and theology in general, this idea uh, that, you know, sin comes from Adam and the Adamic sin nature uh, is passed down to each person because he ate a piece of fruit that we always envision eating an apple. But my sin, I am confident of, is not the fault of Adam. When I do things that are unholy, that are ungodly, that are against what God's will is or his commands, it's not Adam's fault. That's Case's fault. And John is very clear, if you claim to be without sin, you are living in darkness, you are walking in darkness, you don't understand, and the truth, the light, has no place in your life. These are very bold statements to make. John, I would say, is uh, one we consider as a pillar of our theology, of what Christian uh, Christianity of the church has been built on, and what we believe, the foundation that's laid, that we go back and we look at. Obviously, he, he writes... Um, we would traditionally argue he writes 1, 2, and 3 John, the Gospel of, and the book of Revelation. So he's a major player in our New Testament. And a major pillar for us to go back and learn who's, who is God, who are we, and how do I respond. Those are important for us to learn from John. But how did John get to that point? Let's look at, let's look at who John was to begin with. We pick him up in Matthew 4. We're going to look at Matthew 4 and at Luke 5. And briefly go through these accounts of who John is. <clears throat> Again, you can go there or you can listen. doesn't matter. I'll try to paint the picture if you can't read it. Actually, I won't. I'm just going to read it. In verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother Jar. Excuse me, his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left their boats and their father and they followed him. And so we see Matthew 4, when we first see John, he's fishing. John is a fisherman. John is not a well-educated man. It's not, he's not kind of the, um, the cream of the crop, he's not the best of the best. He's not one who, you know, went to school to start with as a boy and then excelled and made it to the next level and the next level and then was approached by a rabbi and brought to teach and to learn and be well-educated and to lead the community spiritually. That's not John. John is a hard-working, uh, possibly kind of middle class, maybe owned his boat, maybe owned a few boats. Uh, we're going to see in Luke that he, he worked, uh, at least his family worked closely with, with Peter's family in partnership of fishing. But... Not a well-educated guy. We see later in, in Acts 4, Peter and John are uh, both arrested and they're brought before the high priest. And the high priest clearly makes a rec- recognition that these guys are unschooled and ordinary men. I 
I don't know if you're aware of this, but the leaders in the Christian community right now today are not unschooled, ordinary men. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. My, my dad is, a, is, a, is, a, is an unschooled, hardworking, ordinary man. And uh, I love him to death. He's my hero and uh, the greatest man I've ever met. But those who are leading our community today are well-educated, multiple PhDs, super sharp guys that we would go and we would look to for answers about Scripture, about the questions we have, about the things we wrestle with. That's not who John is. So how does John get to the point where all of a sudden he is a main player in New Testament theology and the history of our church? Again, we, we see that he's a fisherman in, in chapter 5 of Luke. Jesus is, again, it's the same account as in Matthew 4. But Jesus is, uh, walks up to the, the Sea of Galilee. In this passage, it's listed as the Lake of Gennesaret, which is just a different term for the Sea of Galilee. Um, people are crowding around him, and to avoid uh, the crowd and not being able to teach effectively, he gets in Peter's boat, and they kind of push off a little ways, and he teaches from the boat. And then afterwards, he tells Peter to push out farther and to drop his net. Uh, and they catch just a load of fish and so many so many fish that their their nets are breaking, the boats are sinking. And so John and his family come over and they help and they get these. And at the end, in verse 8 of chapter 5, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James uh, and John, son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up to shore and left everything and followed him again. And this is the same uh, same account as in um, Matthew four, but it's completely different. I want to I want to run a just a small rabbit trail here. I know that there's a concept and have heard multiple times. Scripture uh, often will contradict itself. It doesn't really match up. Says different things. Doesn't agree. And you know because of that, I'm going to say it's not true, which is not the case. Especially especially dealing with these stories that will come up. Not the case. You have to realize you're dealing with. Two different people, you have Matthew and you have Luke, are both telling a story. And they're telling it from a different perspective and they're addressing a different audience. If you were to ask me, Case, what did you do this morning? I would tell you, I got up at 5.40 this morning, got out of bed, I went and I took a shower, I blow-dried my hair, I fixed my hair, I went in my closet, and I went through four different shirts to pick because the first two were wrinkled. And I was going to wear a tie with one so that you all go, wow, you wore a tie, that's so cool. Because ties are just cool. It was pink tie. It was a white shirt and pink tie. Anyways, shirt was wrinkled. Shirt two was wrinkled. Sweater one was wrinkled. So I got to this sweater. Anyway, so I finished up, fixed my hair, brushed my teeth. I floss because I'm an avid flosser. If you don't floss, you really need to floss. It's going to help your gums, you know, longevity of your teeth. Please floss. Regardless. So I floss, got my stuff, and I drove to work. It's a good story. Fairly uneventful. Um... For, for some that would look at a youth pastor, they would go, that's impressive. You got 540? I don't. I only do it on Sundays. So only day I do it. So a lot of you get up six days a week at five o'clock. I only do it once. So it's really not that impressive. So if you ask me, that's my perspective. And that's a true story. All those things happened. It may not have been in that exact order, but it happened. If you were then to ask my wife, what did Case do this morning? She would, one, go, <sighs> well, his alarm went off at 520. Notice I got up at 540. His alarm went off at 520, and I had to turn it off. And I woke him up, and I hit him with the pillow, and I told him to get up. And then his alarm went off again at 530, and he still didn't get up. And so I'm still awake, and finally at 540, he got up. 
Finally, so he gets up and he went to the bathroom Well, then he turned the light on and he is so loud. He goes in there and he starts slamming drawers and he goes, turns the shower on, slams the shower door. And I was awake all morning. Not only that, when he left, he didn't put his truck in the driveway. He had to go out of the garage. So he woke up the kids. So I've been awake since 520. All true statements. And that is exactly what happened. But it's from two different perspectives. One, my, my perspective is I got up early. That's impressive. Good job, Case. You all go, way to go. Applaud you. However, Ryan tells it from a different perspective, and she's looking for sympathy. And why do you look like you haven't slept? But you're beautiful. I told a story a couple of weeks ago in youth, and I still haven't dug myself out of that hole. It was just awful, and it just got worse and worse and worse. That, and I think I just got worse again on that one. I didn't mean to. But true, true stories, different perspectives, different audiences for different reasons, they're both true. Completely different accounts. Does not make one or the other. It doesn't invalidate one or the other or both. They're both valid. Just like in our New Testament, when we come across stories that, that differ, we have to realize they're different authors, they're different audiences, there's different reasons but we find truth and they give us fuller pictures of what really happened. So here we have John again. We said he's a fisherman, but he's a fisherman who is beginning to recognize who this man Jesus is. Which by this point, he, he would have had to have heard of him and maybe heard some of his teaching. But when he sees what happens in Peter's boat, it impacts him enough to the point where he leaves the family business He leaves the nets, he leaves his father, he leaves his boat, and then he will, for the rest of his life, follow this man and then be on a mission for what this man gave him. How does he get to that point? We go back and and look at 1 John again. Because he says, that which we have heard and that which we have seen with our eyes in which we have looked at, which is actually a, which we've gazed upon or intently looked at or examined, and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John is able to do what he's able to do. John is the influencer of what he is today, I would say for three main reasons. One, because God chose him. God gets to choose whoever he wants. He gets to use whoever he wants. He did it with Noah. He did it with uh, Abraham. He, t- he takes Abraham and he makes the nation of Israel from a man who is old and, uh, well, never mind. He's old. The guy's old. If you're going to choose to make a ton of people, you're not going to pick an old guy, right? You're going you're gonna to pick the guy who had a couple of kids, decided that they were done and had some surgery, and all of a sudden they've got two more kids. That's who you're picking. You're not going to go pick an old guy. But yet God chooses, hey, this is who I'm going to use. This say, you know, Gideon. He goes and gets Gideon. I'm going to use Gideon uh, to, to bring about um, freedom of, of his people in a certain time. So we see that throughout Scripture that God chooses whoever he wants. I don't know why I just told you all that, and I apologize for going in depth. I shouldn't have done that. Regardless, God can use whoever he wants, and he chooses to use John. Uh, the second thing is God empowers John. The Holy Spirit empowers John to go out and to live the way uh, that he does. The third reason, I would say, is because John is a disciple of Jesus. John goes and follows Jesus, rabbi, teacher, and eventually claimed as Lord and Savior for roughly three years. John does his doctoral work following Jesus 
throughout his ministry. That's why when we, when we get to this whole what we've heard, what we've seen within our eyes, and what we've intently looked at. John builds his theology off the time he spends with Jesus, learning about who God is, and how God is working, and what God is doing. And he learns about Scripture, and he learns about how to clearly take and the truths to take from and to understand about who God is. And he learns how to treat people. And he learns how to share messages. And he learns about God doing things that are unordinary and miraculous things. He goes on and, and like I said, he, he says, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. It's interesting that John, he doesn't address a standard of morality until later on in the passage. He starts out with, you know, making a a bold statement about who Jesus is and who God is, and then moves directly into a message about life and about hope. He said that John watched and learned from, not only from the reading and study of Scripture, from from what Jesus would do and what Jesus would teach, but also by what Jesus did. Our approach to those who are outside of the Christian community that don't know Jesus should be much like what John learned from Jesus. Just a couple of quick examples. Matthew 9 is a story about um, Jesus calling Matthew to follow him. And shortly after he calls him to follow him, Matthew was a tax collector. He goes with Matthew and they go and they sit down and Jesus is eating with Matthew and other tax collectors and others who are deemed as sinners. During that time, you have religious leaders who look and, and they look at the situation and they go, what are you doing? Why are you eating with them? Why are you eating with us? We're well-educated. We at least claim to love God. We have all the answers. We do things that are great. People look at us and go, those people are righteous. Those people are amazing. We're the ones that stand in the street and pray, and people look at and go, wow, what a religious person. And Jesus says, I didn't come for you. I came for those who were broken. I came for those who were sick. I came to love those who needed me. In John 4 is a story of Jesus approaching a woman at a well in Samaria who the Samaritans were outcast anyways. But then you have a woman and a woman who had lived with five other men, uh, at least had five other husbands and then was living with somebody else. She wasn't the ideal woman. And in that culture, Jesus wouldn't have approached and talked with a woman anyways, especially not this one. Because who she is ethnically and then who she is just by lifestyle, Jesus wouldn't have been one to pick. This wouldn't have been one to pick to go talk to. But for some reason, Jesus goes and shares with her a message of hope and of life and of what he's doing. And it's such a weird dynamic that his disciples walk up and as he's talking to her, she leaves and they go, why are you talking to her? And they are learning how to love people through Jesus' actions. They are learning about this message of hope and about life. And the side note for us to take on this is that for reaching out to other people, the beginning of it is not a, hey, let me tell you what the Bible says about your sin and how you need to be fixed. Let me tell you about how you're broken. But it is to love people, to genuinely care about and love people. That is the way that we begin to reach people. That is a call from God for us. And it's very interesting that that's what John focuses on to start with. Anyway, so in verse 2, it says, The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared or has been revealed 
to us. So he continues with this message and he says this that's been revealed to us, but God has shown us that we've been able to recognize because God has shown us and we have seen God and we have walked with God. And we are now telling you and sharing with you about eternal life. Eternal life obviously has a longevity concept. Um, most of you have heard about eternal life. Once you die, going to heaven and being with Jesus forever. It's fantastic. This culture also, it carries more than just a longevity of life, but it carries a quality of life, meaning a life right now. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, or literally have it overflowing or left over. And part of what John is sharing is that the life we get to have in Jesus is not just a life of forgiveness of sins when we're done here, when we die. Yes, it is, a, it is about us being redeemed, us being uh, corrected, us being fixed, us being able to have right standing with God, about us being uh, a part of the resurrection uh, and being put back to rights uh, with creation the way that uh, God will eventually do so as he redeems the world and as uh, his full plan comes. But it is also about life right now. Experiencing joy, experiencing fullness, experiencing hope when times are good and when times are bad. John knows that. John understands that because of his experience with Jesus. He goes on and says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus came and got him and said, hey, come follow me. And Jesus then taught him. And he learned from and built theology and became a driving force for the church, for Jesus, for God's kingdom. John, in turn, turns around and begins to invest in other people's lives. And he does so, as I said, he writes, he says, I'm writing this to you so that you might have fellowship, not only with us, but also with the Father. So that you can be a part of the family of God. So that you can take part in the kingdom of God. So that you can be co-heirs in what God has for you. And then if we skip down, we're going to we're going to wrap up our just the usage of scripture in chapter two, verse one it says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John continues to explain to them. This is who you are in Christ. I'm, I'm writing this to you to help you to live out what God has called you to live, to be obedient to what God has commanded. To live in a, in a way of worshiping God, aligned with what God says is right, in order to love God, in order to love other people. This is why I'm writing this to you. But I also want you to understand who you are in your relationship with Jesus, that you're going to mess up. John understands the state of humanity. He understands the depravity of man, that we're messed up. And he knows that they're going to screw up. And so he encourages them, hey, I want you to know... Even when you mess up, you have somebody to intercede for you to the Father. And he's helping to walk them through that. We go back and and look at the story with with Tanner, the father and daughter relationship of bringing up a child and um, teaching them how to live, even on basic things like money. 
They need somebody to help them grow, to mature, to learn. As Christians, we need somebody to help us to grow, to learn, and to mature. We need somebody to teach us the value of money. We need somebody to teach us how how we make these decisions and what it is that is a smart purchase or what we can purchase or those things. We need somebody to teach us about how to use Scripture. We need somebody to teach us how to treat other people, how to love other people, how to raise families, how to impart the message of Christ to our children. Rockport, we're, we're starting some new things. The, the women's, our women's ministry do, does a great job in, uh, in mentoring, um, in helping people to grow. And there are opportunities there. The men are starting a uh, discipleship process um, beginning in February. And I want to challenge you men <clears throat> on a couple different levels. One, if you've never been in that place, and, and it's okay to be a young Christian and just knowing the basic concepts. When you begin a relationship with Jesus, you know those basic concepts. I need God. I'm a sinner. Here we go. That's a good place to start. But we need somebody to help bring us along, to help us to understand. If you just sit down and begin to read your Bible, it may not make sense. You're reading a document that's over 2,000 years old dealing in a different culture, in a different time setting, with multiple authors and multiple audiences. And it can be very confusing. And we need people to help bring us along, to teach us, to help us to grow. And that's what we want to offer. If you're in that position, we want to offer that to you. If you're not, if if you're a man and, and are beyond that, and are mature in your relationship, whether you're young or old, I want to challenge you to, to, one, what are you doing with it? I mean, that's great if you are spending quality time with God and consistent time with God and you're growing and it affects the way that you treat other people and the way you raise your family. That's fantastic. But what else are you doing for God's kingdom? Are you helping other men move, move along? Are you helping other men to grow? And we're going to have that opportunity for you. We're going to make those specifics um, and give you all those details later. But I want to challenge you and ask you across the board, what are we doing? I want to challenge you that if you're still a new believer, there are opportunities here for you to grow. If you're not just a new believer, if you're, if you're mature, there are opportunities for you to help bring other people along. I'm 30 years old. I've been a Christian since I was 18. I've been a Christian for a little over a decade and been in ministry for a lot of that and had a lot of schooling. I still, on a consistent basis, meet with mentors. The pastor of First Baptist Serving I meet with on a monthly basis, his name is John Durham. He's a close friend of mine and a mature, godly man that I meet with on a monthly basis for him to, at its most basic concept, disciple me in following Jesus and being a dad and doing ministry. As men, as women, as kids, we need godly people to help encourage, help mentor, help coach, whatever you want to call it. But John is able to do what he did. John was, John was as effective as he was. We are reading from the letter of 1 John, walking away with what we believe about God because John followed Jesus. And I want to challenge you to find your way to do the same thing. Again, we're making opportunities, and we want you to know that. Be aware of those and challenge you to be involved.
Let's pray. Dear God, to me now, thank you for today. Thank you for another chance to come and to worship you. Uh, we thank you for your love and forgiveness and the fact that we get to know you. <coughs> um, regardless of, of what we've done, God, I just pray that as we go out from, uh, from our service today, uh, that you will help make us aware of opportunities to love other people, uh, to reach other people for you, uh, to share you with others. God, we pray that those opportunities will be evident to us, that we will have the faith and, uh, and the courage to step out and, and to share you or to love or whatever it is that we need to do, God. Again, we just thank you so much for, uh, for who you are, for making us, for loving us, for sustaining us. Christian, we pray. Amen.